Buffs Nation. What's going on? Welcome into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. CU 4-0, looking to take on Utah on Friday. Early game, no Saturday game, it's Friday this week. The Utah Utes coming to Boulder. I'm Tyler Walgie. He is Jared All to my right. Jared, how we doing? I'm doing great. Buffs are ranked, boys. Yeah, it's awesome. It's about oh, time. This God, should have been ranked so the good. week before this, but I don't blame the committee needing to see one more win. We got the win 24-13 on the road against Arizona, and uh, CU makes their way into the top 25. Ryan Smith, producer extraordinaire. Ryan, how you doing? I'm great. You know what's better than 3-0? Four no baby. Four no. Did you just make that up? That's brilliant. No, I've been saying that for years. I don't know where I got it from. It's probably stolen, but you it's know, definitely knows? stolen. Yes. <laughs> but See, in these scenarios, I always true. I always think back to the movie uh, Major League. You get a win today, that's one. You get a win tomorrow, that's two. You get a win after that, that's what we call a winning streak. <laughs> it has happened before. Well, the CU Buffs <laughs> are on a four-game winning streak, and uh, like I said, taking on Utah this Friday. On today's show, we're going to wrap up last week's 24-13 win and, of course, give our keys to the game in CU's Last game of the scheduled season. We're going to get one more game against an unknown opponent, but right now we're focusing on the Utah Utes. Uh, before I get going, though, we are recording this show Tuesday evening, and some rankings just came out. As Jared mentioned, CU is ranked this week. According to the College Football Playoff Committee, the Buffs come in at number 21 overall. Would I like to see CU a little bit higher? Of course I would. But look, it's a process. They were unranked last week. Get a big win to wrap the season up, or at least the scheduled season, like I said. And things will be looking good for CU. But right now, number 21 ahead of Oklahoma State. North Carolina State, or uh, yeah, NC State, Tulsa, Missouri. So and, CU twenty one. I think if the Buffs started this season back in September, I, I mean, I think they're just they're at a disadvantage. Having started so late, all these other teams have this resume, have these wins. Look at all these uh, non Power Five teams that have made it into the top twenty five rankings. I, I definitely think they're at a disadvantage, and I think had they started at the same time the SEC ACC did, I think you would see the Buffs hopefully, given that they would continue to have success at a higher rate. Yeah, you would absolutely see Colorado higher than that, but you know you would also see and hear a lot more about Jared Broussard. I mean, how many people across the country are talking about Broussard right now? He's had an incredible year, and it seems like it's 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 forgotten. And I'm actually really bummed out about this because it's, you know, it's, it's so unfortunate to have such a short season. He's on record-breaking paces for yeah, CU records, for national records. I mean, he he's on pace to go over 1,000 yards <laughs> in this season, guys. So, I mean, so I get crazy. that the Buffs have regularly had 1,000-yard rushers, but that's a 12-game season right. we're talking here. Jared, if he keeps on pace... In a regular 12-game season, he's over 2,000 yards. Yeah, he's going to yeah, break which records. Which got Rashawn Salam Heisman. Exactly. Hit by game, Broussard has rushed for, and this is going in order from first to last, 187 yards, 121, 124, and then last game, 301. He broke the 300 mark. And to think he, if I'm not mistaken, he did not have a carry. Prior to this year, he has never carried the ball in a, a college football game prior to this year, and he has not gone not gone for under 120. Was that the low number I heard there? That's incredible. Yeah, 121 incredible. was a low number. Now I've got to ask it. The elephant in the room, I, I don't want to bring any negativity here, but are we giving him the ball too much? Because the one negative and the one complaint that I had last year and, frankly, the last couple of years with LaVisca Chenault was... 
They're giving this guy the ball all the time. No wonder he's getting so hurt. So you guys think it's a negative that Broussard's getting the ball so often? I do, just, but just I, for I think factor. the coaching staff is realizing that too. You saw different guys get involved in this game plan that, that weren't previously. Ashad Clayton, true freshman running back, got himself a few carries. Uh, you know, yeah, Jared, that was cool to see Clayton yeah, in there. I, but okay, can we talk about that though? Were they just like, did, did Jared Broussard piss somebody off though? Because he kept giving them down to the two, three, four <laughs> yard line and then they would not give him a goal I'd carry. I was thinking that, you know, uh, <laughs> FanDuel and DraftKings, they do college football uh, uh, daily fantasy contests and I'm like, boy, whoever's got, uh, who was it they kept scored? It was uh, uh, Sean, Sean Clayton. Clayton. Sean Clayton, yeah, a freshman. Four carries, 24 yards, two touchdowns. Whoever's got Clayton just raking this, this day. So yeah, that was hysterical. Broussard would do all the damage, all the dirty work, and then come out for the three-yard run. So Clayton, and I think I think I think our boys got to uh, work on his uh, conditioning maybe a little bit there. He he hits about uh, sixty yards and he runs out of gas a little bit. It was a little slow. Yeah, I think there was a safety chasing him down, maybe even a linebacker. Carry the know. ball for as many times as he did and as many yards. That's what I'm saying. I, I want to see if you get gas. We're sitting there. on our couch eating Lay's potato <laughs> chips, yelling at this guy to do so. So, so a like, couple things that I that I want to I, I want to address in, in regards to. Um, Clayton, it, it really reminds me of, you know, we brought it up, I think it was last week or two weeks ago show of Chris Brown. He was really the workhorse. And that's when we kind of realized Bobby Purify was a legit back right. because he'd come in and spell him and score those touchdowns. And, and you know, with, with Broussard, I, I, I don't I, – I'm a big proponent. If, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. So, and you brought up LaVisca Chenault with how we utilized him with his time at CU. I think there were a lot of times, probably more than not, that it was broken. Whether, if it, pretty much when it was outside, if we weren't throwing it to him and we were doing the Wildcat stuff. And they were kind of reluctant to change it. And, and to be honest with you, kind of hot take here is, is, is a Buffs fan. I think our offensive line this year has performed way better than any offensive line that we've seen, even even plug and play in people that than we've seen in a few years. And that's what I was just gonna say. This is a beat up O line. We've no seen guys kind of coming in and out, mainly the interior of the offensive line. But they looked so good. Uh, a chance Lytle went down, and uh, you know they never showed that injury. Uh, that must have been bad. Well, first of all, Chance Lytle is a big bad dude, right? Number yeah. seventy four. I mean. You don't want to. You don't want to piss that guy off, right? You don't want him on the uh, going against you. But you're you're right, Jared. It was well. First, here's what happened: is Colby Purcell went hurt, right? So Kari Cooch slid over to center, and then Cooch couldn't make the trip to Arizona, having to make more changes on the offensive line. So, um, you know, the Buffs uh, they brought sophomore uh, Kanan Ray into the mix. There were a few more guys sliding over, stepping up into new roles, and the line looks. Good. I mean, the cohesiveness. You've got to give so much credit to Mitch Rodriguez and, and and the job he's done this year with his offensive line. They fill in great. You don't see any injuries, you know, popping up. And again, when Colby Purcell went down, I'm going, oh boy. You know, we're gonna have to start shuffling the deck here. And then Kari Cooch not able to go to Arizona. I thought that was gonna be the downfall. And then it was. And then Chance Lytle, like you said, goes down during the game. And by the way, this was not post injury. This was pre injury. I thought Chance Lytle was he he stood out as the best offensive lineman when he played that game. He was making great blocks. He was doing such a good job. And how often is it that you're talking about an offensive lineman or they stand out? And again, this is not because he got hurt. I'm not trying to, you know, pepper some compliments in here because he, he got injured. I'm sitting there going, Holy 
holy cow, that number seventy four dude, Chance Lida with the blonde long hair. Well, and we're we're giving Jarek Broussard giving Jarek Broussard a lot of credit for what he's done, and, and yeah. absolutely deservedly so. He's made a lot of great plays, but I mean, let's look at these holes he's running through, and he's right. got a lot of space to work with. Yeah, you can't make a cake without any eggs, man. <laughs> That's a good oh, I like that. We love cake oh, around here. Ryan coming in with the analogy. I like uh, that. Walt, you better you better watch out. That's <laughs> kind of your game here. I mean, right. you're creeping in on it. But uh, no, when he went out of the game, uh, Chance Lytle, you know. It well. By the way, if you ever see a guy who looks like Chance Lytle at a rock concert, you want you're gonna want to mosey up next to him. You know he's gonna be your friend. Yeah, but. be be friends with that guy. He <laughs> will have your back. But overall, I agree with what you guys said. You know th- this offensive line is probably right now around Boulder, around CUBuffs.com, Buff Zone, the other outlets who talk about this team. Probably the most underrated part of this uh, offense, at least right now. I mean, they're looking very good. Yeah, and I would just want to comment. You brought it up before, and, and I think we are really realizing it now with injuries, is the type of bubble that the athletic department and Kyle Durrell really uh, chose chose to make that decision to. And, and, and I think that's why we're really getting to see the cohesiveness, even with people playing in different positions. All right, so we're kind of diving into last week's game. We're going to keep doing that, but before we get uh, too far into the show, we'll do what we do every single podcast. Ryan, what do we have for this day in CU football history? So today being December 8th, um, a, a lot of times, especially going back in history, you're not really playing football in, in these times. You know, it's it's awards time. You're gearing up to bowl season. Is it already it's, awards time in yeah, a regular it's, Well, year? it's kind of weird because, you know, I didn't realize this season's going, I think, on what, three weeks past the normal end of the football right. season. Right, right. It's, so it's, so, so the, it, it's it's – the ones that I have aren't for regular years. These are back in the '90s. Um, even with the NFL, you can see. You know, we used to play the Super Bowl in mid to late January. Now it's early February. Right. So, kind of these these leagues are, are kind of going up, mo- moving things um, past usual dates. Uh, so, the first one that we have uh, today is uh, December eighth, nineteen ninety four. 94, all right. Not going in the way back machine this time. Not going not, 100 years. Not, not in the way, way back. I, I'm sorry, 1991. There we go. Um, back when we were little wee tykes. <laughs> uh, so that was when Jay Lewenberg became, he's a ring of famer, became the fourth player in CU history to earn unanimous All-American honors when Ooh. he was selected to the AP and UPI teams. I like that. Speaking of All-American, we got one on defense, right? Our middle linebacker, Nate Lamb, he's got to be All-American, right, oh, this year? Oh, yeah. Nate, if the, not the announcers more. could not stop talking about him being I don't a Buckus finalist. I don't and, blame him. And absolutely, he needs to be in that conversation. Dude's all over the field. All right, Ryan, you got one more? And, and this one is from December 8th, 1994, uh, which was senior quarterback, cornerback Chris Hudson wins the Jim Thorpe Award as the nation's top defensive back. There we go. Even back to 94, we were DBU. I love it. I love it. That's a good one. And that's kind of a time frame, guys, that I think, uh, you know, we can all look back. And again, as I mentioned, we're all all early 30s guys. We we were real young back in those days. But uh, I I think we can all look back on that with a lot of fond memories and a lot of wins in those days. No kidding. And like Ryan said, DBU, that's uh, Defensive Back University. We crank them out, man. CU's always been pretty good in that. And hey, we got a couple more guys uh, showing up this year, but... Uh, so let's get back uh, to the Arizona game, and we'd mentioned the O line, we mentioned Jared Broussard, and we kind of talked a little bit about Ashad Clayton, you know. But it, it, it's it's funny. I mean, I'm go- I'm sitting watching the game, going, 
who? A shot, and I'm getting my depth chart out, and it's like, oh, oh that great freshman we were talking about. But early in the year, Jared Mangum got the carries. And then game two, Joe Davis got the carries. And the last game, it was Mangum again. And now it's a shot Clayton. Do you guys think this coaching staff is... Is, is there something going on here? Are they playing the player who deserves it more? Or are they doing a weekly, a week by week? The the backup gets to earn it. What do you think is going on here? I think it's a hundred percent a wrinkle. You can, you can prepare for Bouchard as much as you want, but when he he needs a blow, then we're going to bring in somebody else who's just as talented, and you don't know who it is. And, and maybe I'm looking too much on the surface of this, but frankly, none of the the backups have been all that productive. For as great as Broussard has well, looked, none of them have that been productive. So I, I think you may be seeing them going, okay, you guys aren't showing us anything. Let's see what this kid's got. Let's see what this true freshman's got. Can he come in and can he actually add another element to this offense? He's a little more physical, a little bit of a bigger guy. I think that's true, but I also think that none of these guys are really getting enough carries to do enough with. That. Like, you just look at last game, you know, Sam Neuer was second on the team in carries. He had six. Ashad Clayton had four, Joe Davis had four, and Jaron Mangum had five. So it's not like they're ignoring these guys, but they're peppering in more and more every week. And you mentioned the size, Jared. Uh, you know, he is big. Ashad Clayton for a freshman, six foot 200. We can assume that's, you know, he's going to get bigger as he goes. But Jaron Mangum is 6'2, 215. I think we forget how big he is. But the way I see it, and this could be pure speculation, this could be pure, well, not speculation because we saw him on the field, but this could be more about a lack of sample size. And you see him out there for a couple runs, but you really don't get a good idea for who they are. But from what I've seen, Ashad Clayton is earning that goal line role. You know, uh, Jaron Mangum's bigger. He has more experience. But Ashad Clayton looks like he's more of that power back. And, and if I'm not mistaken, his first two carries were his two touchdowns. I may, be, <laughs> I so. I may be wrong on that, but I believe he got in that first time he touched the ball. So so with Broussard, especially in goal line situations, what, what, what hurts you is being a smaller guy. You know, he, he's not that small, but he's a smaller guy. What also hurts you is being tall as a running back, especially in goal line situations because you can't get low. So I think, I th- I think that there's a kind of a mixture of being big and like the right height to where he can get low and get penetration throughout that defensive line. Well, until there's any kind of injury concern, and I understand Jared Broussard has the history with his knee. We haven't seen any signs of that coming back up this year. And if that it stays that way and we see a remainder of no signs, he's okay, I'm good giving it to him 25, 30 times a game. You know, I brought that up posing it as a question because last year, again, last couple of years, I hated that about LaVisca, but LaVisca was more injury prone. I understand the difference. Well, I think that, you know, everyone should understand the difference between being injury prone or having had an injury in your career. They're very different things. We look at the NFL. LaVisca Chenault's hurt this year a little bit. So maybe I just, you know, kind of. And I think this is a team that's found their identity. And I, I think that's important that having sure. an identity within this, this uh, season and you know, Ryan mentioned it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Nobody's been able to stop him yet. So why do you think that you want to go away from that? Now, as we mentioned with LaVisca Chanel, it didn't lead to a whole lot of wins. It didn't lead to a whole lot of scoring. And I think sometimes then you start forcing it. I think if you get to that point where you get mid-third quarter and things just aren't going anywhere, yeah, I need to see Sam Neuer taking on his shoulders a little bit and make some plays. But until that happens, I think you keep leaning on your horse there. And with LaVisca, you're right. It didn't lead to a lot of wins. But that's what's different about this team is, you know, Carl Durrell and, and Shiverini and, and the rest of the coaching staff, they're using Broussard very smartly. It's not just they're giving it to him all the time so they don't know what to do. And, and pretty often, whether it was uh, Mike McIntyre or he who shall not be named who left last year, it felt like 
one of those really bad players in Madden who calls the same play over and over because it works and they've sort of like found a little, you know, something that'll work. That's what it felt like with LaVisca. It's like, we're out of ideas. We're just going to put him in the Wildcat and go. So at least it's working better this year. And like I said, I've got no real complaints. Yeah, well, last year too, and even years previous when LaVisca was here, it felt like we had nothing. When we were in a pinch, we had nothing else. Absolutely we, nothing. We, we, we didn't have a running game to fall back on. We didn't have a running game to start on, especially last year when Fontenot got hurt. And then, um, you know, you have decent wide receivers, but nothing like Chenault that's going to be out there. Nothing that's going to spread the defense around. Because you can bracket Chenault in a college game, and he's pretty much, you know, not doing anything. Right. All right, well, we've talked a lot about LaVisca Chenault. Let's get over to his brother, a little younger brother, Levante Chenault, who for the second game in a row led the Buffs in catches. Now, it was only, what, three shows ago where we brought this up and we're saying, when's he going to get more involved? Oh, he's gotten more involved. Five of the 12 catches, uh, only 17 yards, but they're going after this guy. And I honestly think after his fumble, maybe that shook a little bit up in terms of play calling, but still, he looks good. We can't expect these young players to be mistake-free, and I love what I'm seeing from Chenault. And, and even with that, obviously, you don't like to see him putting the ball on the turf, but it was a, 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 a situation where he's trying to make a play. He's trying to gain some extra yards, and I mean, it was close. It was close. It, ju- it just popped out before he hit the <laughs> ground. Know. When I saw it live, I thought, oh, no, no, he was down. He was down. That elbow was down, but, you know, and, and the guy came through. He pops it out. I mean, that, I think that's a, as, as good of a play defensively a, as what it was a, a bad play from the offense. And one of my favorite things, going a little deep here in the analytics, but one thing that you'll hear Bill Belichick talk about a lot is muddying the stats up. And what muddying the stats up means is, let's say the Patriots are in a game where they're up uh, you know, 14 points and they have the ball uh, second in goal from the one, right? Well, if history always says New England's going to run the ball, Bill Belichick will throw the ball for the, for the mere fact of muddying up the stats. So now when opponents look at, okay, what does New England do on the goal, you know, second and, go, second and one on the two-yard line or whatever example I gave, and it's going to give them a confused idea about what New England really wants to do. Well, what I see here materializing with the Buffs is something pretty similar. This week, when Kyle Whittingham's preparing for Colorado, he's going to say, Guys, Levante Chenault, we got to keep an eye on him. He's led the team in catches the last two weeks. He's going to be their go-to when really, I think, even though Levante Chenault is going to be a tremendous talent for the Buffs, Dimitri Stanley and KD Nixon are more lethal on a yards-per-catch basis, right? They've just been here longer. They run a little bit crisper routes. You know, Dimitri Stanley's a little quick, you know. So I think this is great for CU in terms of their approach this week because I think that Kyle Whittingham is going to have his hands full preparing for this offense. They can do so much. We already talked about the running game, and CU wants to run the football. But when uh, Sam Neuer drops back, I think it's great for CU that we're confusing our opponents because we can use anybody, any one of our receivers. And to that point, you mentioned only 12 uh, completions on the game. Five different receivers. So, again, you cannot target and and hone in on any one player. And Daniel Arias getting in the mix there. I like to see him. You know, he's spotty on here, but I like to see him in the mix as well. He makes big-time catches. His one catch on the day was a big-time third-down catch, led to a first down. That's, that's, That's key. That's good for a quarterback to know you can count on a guy to make that play. Sam Neuer only threw the ball 19 times. He was 12 of 19, 92 yards. He did have two picks, no touchdowns. I'm okay with it. Look, I'm not okay with this being a habit. I'm not okay with this being his normal stat line. But again, we've said this over and over this year. Colorado and Carl Durrell, they're doing what they need to do to win. 
You know, that's the most important thing. Get the win, get out. There's no forcing anything. There's no forcing Sam Neuer the ball. You got to throw it 19 times to win by 11 points. Do it. I don't have an issue with them leaning heavily on this running game, especially with how bad Arizona was going into the, the game this throughout the season, how bad they were performing during the game. What I do have an issue with, and that's not unique to this game, the Buffs have yet to show they can put a team away. Every game they've been in, they've gotten up, and they've let teams hang around. But what's the definition of that? Are, do you want CU to pull away? Would you have preferred to have them win 34 to it's not. It's not a score. It's not a number. It, it's the fact that, you know, you get just looking at the the, the, the stat sheet here and, and the, the box score, you know, 14 points up in the second quarter. They were rolling. They were, everything was going. They scored early in the third quarter. After that, three points the rest of the game. Put your foot on the throat. Put your foot on the gas and go get them. I understand what you're saying with, with that because the first two games we saw them jump out huge leads and then they kind of let them come back in. The last two games, I feel like they've gotten out to a lead or even last week came back with a lead and actually were was able to not necessarily step on their throats, but it, it's almost like a boa constrictor. It's it's death with 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 minutes and seconds and you, you know and that's how that's how they go about it they're just going to feed the rock and, and they're going to go about the way they do and not try to feed into what the opponent does well well but also i think that because i'm looking at this way different than jared is and i understand your concern and i would like to see cu put teams away a little bit better but i thought that more after the ucla and stanford game i mean look last two games Colorado has allowed zero second-half points. So maybe this is a team that's not built to put teams away with their offense, but with their defense and sort of clamp up in the second half. Because again, San Diego State, they had 10 points at halftime. They ended the game with 10 points. Arizona, 13 points at halftime, ended the game with 13 points. So the defense is really doing a lot of that work. And Arizona scored on their second drive of the game, a touchdown. So that's six points after that point in time. So I, I can't disagree with you guys there. The defense did what they needed to do, and at no point did Arizona really ever get a substantial drive going I just man the way that offense was rolling it's like they they all of a sudden took you know and again Jarek Broussard had a ton of touches in this game but you barely saw him in the fourth quarter and I think that's when you put your killer in and you let him go kill him yeah and I, th- I think a problem too is what we saw in, in the first two games is is Sam Neuer was kind of just playing with reckless abandon he, he didn't really care it seems like he's kind of become a little conservative in the last couple of games, and I, and I don't know if that's that's on him or the play calling or, or what they've asked him to do, and and in that point, I just want to and I will give Brian Howell, you know, a great follow on Twitter um, if you can. Dimitri Stanley, first two games, he had 15 targets, 12 catches, and 192 yards. Last two games, only six targets and three catches for 54 yards. Right. I think you need to get Stanley a little bit more involved. I think he kind of needs to become your premier guy in the passing game and, and get him a little bit more action. Well, let me put this out to you guys. We just talked a lot about how we're very comfortable with Jarek Broussard and the touches he's getting and that this is their identity. Is that to the detriment of this passing game? Because they're not getting this passing game involved early, they're not getting Sam Neuer on a roll early, could that benefit them as a team to get this passing game going a little bit earlier so that then they just lean on their no, running game no, to kill a no, game. I don't like that at all because CU depends on their running game to open things up for Sam Neuer. And I think if you do it the other way around, it's going to be slow goings for the passing game and it's going to make it easy to hone in on the run when CU needs to do that. So I love the approach so far. Run, 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 open up that secondary and then let Sam Neuer exploit it. 
Uh, staying in the de- with the defense here, Nate Landman, 16 tackles, one sack. He got uh, the the player of the week. I- I'm, I'm going to butcher this name, and people are going to – it's the Chuck uh, Bednarik? Bednarik. Bednarik, yeah. Bednarik, yeah, he got the player of the week. So, I mean, we talked about him earlier in the show. I think he should be uh, All-American. I think he should be in consideration for every major national award for linebackers. And, Jared, you're our go-to NFL draft specialist here. Where do you have him projected right now in the NFL draft? I mean, he's definitely rising. I think going into the year, I, I, I probably saw a, a day two, day three guy. And and then by that, I mean third, fourth, fifth round. I think he's certainly creeping up in the top. I, I don't know that he's getting up to first round. And and, and here's why I say that. It, it's nothing to do with his performance. He just, the he fits more the mold of an old school linebacker and the NFL has gone to so much of a passing league that if you can't be on the field at all times which I believe that he can he just doesn't get thrown in a ton of coverage situations they use him more as a blitzer which is where I think he's really helped his value on that side I could see him being utilized maybe not as like a 3-4 edge rusher 3-4 is what the buffs run you know they have a 3-4 so your outside linebackers are typically more of edge rushers but I think you may see him in, in a role similar to what the buffs are utilizing Carson Wells in where it's kind of a hybrid coverage also coming after the quarterback a lot because uh, uh, Nate Landman is great in the backfield. He's great at making plays. So I think you're seeing probably a, a, a second-round guy, okay. and, and I think a lot will depend on how how fast he is at the combine. And I, and I hate saying that. It's such a weird thing. <laughs> it's actually, uh, just to, to, to go on a quick quick side story here, what got me into uh, scouting and NFL draft stuff is watching these guys play four years of college, everything that they do, and one day in Indianapolis can change everything right? for a Isn't guy. that crazy? And, and it's like, wait, these, these GMs, these owners, they make millions of dollars, and yet they get caught up in the hype. And so I think if it's a guy that if he can show up, and really, really perform, which he absolutely will be somebody that's invited to the combine. I think he'll probably oh, be playing sure. at the Senior Bowl, which is a great place for him to showcase against other top talent. So I think you're looking at a mid-second round guy that has the potential to continue to move up in the in the draft. Guys. Second round, that's fine with me. I mean, how many linebackers go first round anyway? Quarterbacks are getting off the board. It's a lot a great of skill point. position guys are off the board. Let's put it I think he's a top five guy at his position. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and something I was just looking at: out of forty-seven tackles this year, he has forty-one uh, total tackles. I'm sorry, forty-seven tackles and forty-two of them are solo tackles. That's crazy. That's incredible. Crazy. And, and that's something that I think that second round, I, I I could agree with you, but I could also see late first round, just because of the potential he's shown and the growth he's shown at the university to this point. Well, but also, I mean, Jared, aren't, aren't there still? areas in the NFL for guys like that? I mean, I know that it's becoming more of a speed game, more of an edge game, but 3-4 still has two middle linebackers. Well, and I, I actually see his fit better as as a 4-3, like a, a Sam linebacker in the 4-3. So that, that would be a strong side, outside linebacker where you do get utilized a lot to blitz to get after the quarterback that way, but you will at times then be, be dropping and you're you're protecting the edge. He kind of reminds me of Bobby Wagner. I mean, Bobby Wagner's quick. Nate Lehman's quick. You know, Bobby Wagner's not asked to do too much in pass coverage, so he's kind of that kind of a prototype, I think, in the NFL. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of somebody I'd uh, compare him to is uh, Blake Martinez. Yeah, for sure. You yeah. know, one of those guys who big, make tackles, still, can still move it a little bit, but great game for Nate Landman. We always expect it from him. Okay, but real quick before we move off of him, yeah. do you see his forehead by the end of that game? No. 
oh my god, he's bleeding out of his forehead because he had scraped it up so much on the front of his helmet as he's making all these tackles because he's just getting after it. I, I'm telling oh you, god. like, like you know the Peyton Manning forehead? Does he have padding? We there? were bloody. It was bloody. No, so late man, late, late, late Nate Landman, <laughs> late, late Landman, guys. <laughs> Nate Landman's redness was because he hits things with his face for a living. Yes. Peyton Manning's redness was because he had his helmet pumped so tight that it was just squeezing his head. Oh, my God. I thought, I thought maybe Peyton Manning's brain got larger like as the game wrap. went on. And it's, like, it's like when you when you get steaks that are like uh, freeze-wrapped or shrink-wrapped. It's like in that helmet, man. Uh, Nate Landman. Late Nanman. You know who Late Nanman is. Ryan's making a sitcom. Late Nanman is never on time. He's, oh. yeah, he's always late. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on. Uh, Carson Wells. You talk about someone who is that NFL prototype. He was second on the team in tackles this last week with 11, one and a half sacks, four, count them, four tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Carson Wells is probably the most improved player according to what I've seen this year on the defensive side of the football. What do you guys think of Carson Wells? 100%. I could not agree more. And you want to talk uh, as far as a guy improving his draft stock. I think he went from being an undrafted guy. I don't think anyone had him on his radar. I absolutely think he's in the mix in those mid rounds for a guy that so versatile. You put him in any role. He can be an off-ball linebacker. He can be an edge guy. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the coverage ability. I am very impressed with him. And again, a guy that his stock continues to rise week after week. Well, and let's face it: the better CU does, and the higher they raise in the rankings, everyone's NFL stock. People goes are taking up. notice. Yeah. People are absolutely taking notice. Again, I mentioned it earlier. These announcers could not stop talking about these two guys. Uh, Darian Rakestraw, seven tackles. Isaiah Lewis did a nice job, seven tackles. He flew around. Uh, Jonathan Van Deest, who, who filled in very nicely. And and that's something just to touch on the, the beginning in this game. We talked about the Buffs struggled a little early. They were down 10 nothing after the first quarter. And Akil Jones did not travel with the right. team. He had a kid. I mean, come on. It's not like it was anything important or anything. He had a kid. <laughs> I mean, geez. It's not like you gave birth. No, no I, I, I I joke. But it was sort of Jared's a... Jared's tough. Uh, I know. I, yeah, Arizona's not that <laughs> far away. Can, Jeez. Can you t- I'm like, give me a Zoom call or something, right? It's not like you're involved actively. No, can you tell I don't have kids, right? No. <laughs> but anyways, that was... A, kind of a shock. I, I don't know if you guys had heard about that going into the game. I, I had not at all. No, I, and so I heard it. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm like, what is going on with this Buffs run defense? It's all over. I'm like, wait, who is that? Who's number 12 in the middle there? That's that's not John, Akil it's, Jones. It's JVD, baby. Uh, that was actually not JVD. Oh, it started oh. out. I thought I thought, I'm talking about Jonathan Van Deest. I don't have his numbers was, in front uh, of me. Uh, Quinn Perry. Okay. Was who who came was starting in the game and and he's a guy that hasn't played a ton for the Buffs. He was a transfer in uh, a JUCO transfer last year. Hasn't played a ton for the Buffs. A little out of position early on. They they made the switch over to, to to John Van Dies and both guys played throughout the game and both guys played a lot better after that first quarter. I think the Buffs settled. I think they adjusted some things, but they definitely missed a kill Jones in there. So it was good to see John Van Dies come in and make an impact throughout that second half. I learned Akil Jones was going to be out when I was listening. To 850K away, I, I'm, uh, I gave in. I, I got Fubo again this year, right? I, I was going different ways. I was trying to avoid Fubo, uh, but I got it. And the great thing about Fubo is you can pause it during the games. And so for the first time this year, I was able to sync up the TV with the radio, except it was a lot harder because everything is streamed nowadays. So I had my iPad plugged into my speakers, right? And I had the game obviously going on Fubo on the TV. But the issue was it takes about 
two, three seconds of, of delay when you hit play on Fubo. So right when you think you have it timed up, I had to. I, I was trying to time it up for a good 10 minutes, and it took a long time, but finally got it. There's nothing. If you guys can do that, there's nothing like listening to Mark Johnson and Gary Barnett. Uh, Mark Johnson's got to be one of the best play-by-play guys in so the solid. country. Uh, he's so good. College, NFL, doesn't matter. It's so clean. I mean, just by the silky voice right? alone. He's the best. I, I, I could listen to him run me through like a ricotta recipe and <laughs> I would be completely fine <laughs> also with Also a good follow on Twitter by so the way. That's Mark a nice Johnson. choice right there. Ricotta. What's that, Jerry? I said also a good follow on Twitter by the oh, way. Mark nice. Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, ricotta. What's your guys' favorite kind of cheese? I'll, I'll start because I'm into my cheeses. I'm, I'm, I actually go to a specific uh, grocery store, King Super's on University and I think it's Hamden or Orchard, one of those up there. Uh, they have a cheese section and they import their cheeses. My favorite is a British smoked white cheddar. Oh my god, dude! This thing anything is amazing. Anything smoked? Give me oh, anything smoked. You can taste that smokiness all throughout the cheese. It is very good. I'm gonna have to go. Uh, I think because of the versatility, I'm gonna go provolone. I know that's a little bit okay. of a off there, but great for sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, you know, throw it nice on a topping on a pizza. I like that. You get that smoked. Anything. It's little good. little bit too much feet felt feet smell for me, but um, I, I honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly, I will eat. Crumbles of feta just by themselves. Okay. I love feta, feta. cheese. Ryan, I have lived That's a little with off you. the board. I have smelled your feet, and for you to compare <laughs> any cheese to your feet is insulting to just cheese <laughs> as a food category. Listen, okay? this is a you and me conversation. We don't need to bring it up on the podcast. <laughs> Thank Boy. God he's got his shoes on, man. Feta, that's off the board. That's taking a that's taking a receiver who no one thought would go first round. That's that's reaching right there. But hey, I like it. All right. Um, That's a John Ross pick right there, guys. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, let's see. We were, we, we were on the defense. Uh, yeah, Isaiah Lewis, John Van Deese filled in well. Mustafa Johnson had a, a couple tackles. Mark Perry, Quinn Perry, Perry and Perry Co. And you know a guy I want to really highlight that has not shown up a ton on the stat sheet, but was a guy that was really targeted early on in the in this game. And that's Christian Gonzalez in this season. Was Christian Gonzalez? He's yeah. really come into his own as a true freshman, big guy out on the edge. He's all of a sudden somebody that guy teams are staying away from right. in the passing game. Right. I think so too. I mean, he's. I mentioned Carson Wells being you know probably the most improved, but. Christian Gonzalez is in that category, at least. He's done so well this year when expectations were not that high. You know, we think very highly of this secondary, but the one question mark was Gonzalez. What's he going to do? How's he going to work? How's he going to fill in? And, uh, you know, it, it says something that we think, what we think about him, but it says even more that other teams have stopped picking on him so much. Like, that's that's the main thing right there. You can talk, 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 but when other teams stop throwing at him all the time, it's a great sign. I also want to bring up, before we move on to uh, this week's game against Utah, uh, Terrence Lang. Because, again, Terrence Lang, only two tackles, but you talk about someone who's consistently getting behind the line of scrimmage, consistently disrupting things. He had a half sack this last game, and he doesn't always have to make the tackle to reroute the running back, to affect the play. And that's one thing that he does so well is blows plays up. So we can't leave Terrence Lang out of this, even though he's not getting on the stat sheet as much. And a lot of the tackles that Nate Landman and Carson Wells are getting are as a result of Terrence Lang having blown up the play in the backfield. Yeah, so with a guy like Terrence Lang, that's why those linebackers are able to flow and make tackles is because you have to put two offensive linemen on Terrence Lang wherever he is. Right. Um, and, and th- again, redirecting runners and, and just getting in the backfield, even with two guys on him. I saw that multiple times where he's splitting two guys by himself and 
blown up plays. He's really talented. And this is, you know, we do this a lot because we see a lot of talented guys, but uh, do you think Terrence Lang ends up anywhere in the NFL discussion? He's kind of a tweener, and, yeah. and that makes it tough, but that that is becoming. I mean, Aaron Donald, Let's I'm not going to compare him to Aaron Donald, but I think he's a guy that kind of broke that mold and made people realize that an undersized defensive Wait, lineman can be very Terrence productive. Terrence Lang is 6'7". I, I mean, but weight-wise, what do you mean? Oh, 280, 285. Yeah. It's, t- it's tall for a defensive lineman. So, yeah. Somebody yeah. That, that he kind of reminds me of is Will Parachek. I don't know if you remember him. He was a defensive tackle. Um, I think he was number 93. Okay. But he was always taking up double teams. Like He was, he was you know, in, in the doldrum era of CU football. I, I, I think for <laughs> Terrence Lang, what would be really beneficial to him as he goes to the next level is, is to see him put on 10, 15 pounds. I know, I know his speed is probably his best asset, but as tall as he is, I think he really does need to be, have a frame of more about 295, 300 pounds well, to he, really be productive in the NFL. On all these rosters, he's listed at 285, you said, Tyler? Yeah. He's probably 265, right. 270. Yeah. So he needs to put on a good 25 to 30 and He's pounds stretching that out too, 6'7". He's a tall dude. But look, the NFL's ever-evolving. There's probably a couple teams who see that and want to use it. And you know we'll keep an eye on him, but he could stick around for another year. So, well, maybe two with this. I, I was going to say, a lot of these guys, I was just thinking that how many of these guys are seniors, and then it hit me in the head. I'm like, wait, yeah, free all these seniors are come, can come back. And, mean, and, and if you're a, a senior on this buff squad, you've seen a lot of bad football. What? Why would you not want to be a part of what we're building here? There's also kind of he's in that tweener range where he either gains twenty or thirty pounds or drops fifteen, and now he's a DN. And does he have the speed? Right, I right, think he may exactly. have the speed to do that. Play at two sixty five in the NFL and be an edge rusher. Boy, seniors who could leave this year. Uh, all right, let's just play quick yes or no. You guys give me yes or no. Do you think they leave for the NFL? Katie Nixon, and we'll go only seniors, the senior edition. Katie yeah. Nixon, yes. Ryan, do they play in it? And play in the NFL? Well, no, no. Do, do they just go to the NFL? Do they leave? Because they have one extra year of eligibility this year, right? Or, oh, yeah, that's right. So that's do these Sorry. seniors come back next season is my question, or do they uh, do they end up in the NFL? So uh, KD Nixon. Yeah, since he already yeah, he tried declared to leave last, last year, year and came, decided not to. I go. say yes. Kari Cooch. No. No. Uh, Sam Neuer. No. Boy, no is that well. all the seniors on offense? This offense is young. Right, let's get and to I th- think that's why a lot of those guys stay. Right. Uh, defense, uh, Mustafa Johnson. Yes. Jer- He's Jer- a guy that I think is is getting drafted mid, mid-rounds at least. I'm going to say no because I think he could be a first-round pick. He has not. I mean, not to say that he hasn't performed well, but last couple of seasons he has been a beast. And, and we, I mean, think about it, guys. We have not talked about him a ton this right. year. He's not showing up a ton. I think he's getting a lot of attention from offensive lines, but and I, think that's I wouldn't why, be shocked if he comes back to try to maybe enhance uh, that's his That's why I think bit. that could be a reason why he comes back is I think going from a mid-round, I think he could become a top-round. A lot, lot of money get up in that no first and kidding, second round. Uh, Nate Landman. Yes. Absolutely. Akil Jones. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no on that. He waited a long time to get his shot. I think he wants to keep going. And uh, Darian Rakestraw. Boy, that's a tough one. He's a he. I, he's an NFL talent, if you ask me. And, and uh, again, maybe it's a guy that comes back to try to improve his stock. I'm going to say yes. I do think he goes to the NFL. Yeah, I'm going to say he's gone as well. Boy, that does it. See, you doesn't have that many seniors know, at all. Awesome. This is so <laughs> exciting. That's fantastic. All right, let's get to the game coming up this weekend. Game will be played Friday night at 7.30. Utah Utes 
coming to Boulder, Colorado. Now, Utah on the season started with very high expectations in a lot of different coaches' polls, media polls. USC was picked to finish first, and Utah was overwhelmingly picked to finish second. Not so fast, my friends. CU may have something to say about that. Utah is 1-2 on the year. Their loss is coming against USC, 33-17. They went to Washington and arguably should have won that game. They ended up losing 24-21, and then they got their first win of the season last week at home, 30-24. Very confusing, Utah. And even that first game against USC, I think you take with a grain of salt. Utah had missed their first couple of games because of COVID issues. They had had almost no time to practice. USC was in full swing by that point. And and if you watched that game, which that was the first opportunity I got to watch USC this year, and, and I remember looking at it going, man, I didn't take a whole lot from USC, but man, Utah, it just they looked flat. They didn't quite look ready. And you've seen a much better team each of the last two weeks. So I think that first game is a little bit of a fluke. I think you've seen the last couple weeks, it's not the same Utah team. Right, this is right. not the, the 10 or 11 win team from last year that made it as high, I think, as five in the college football playoff rankings. This is a team that lost a ton of talent last year, but it's still a very well-coached team. They still have a lot of talent there. And I think it's somebody that the, the Buffs need to take seriously. I think especially with a lot of talk around the, the Buffs program right now with that they, they may be kind of getting hosed out of the opportunity to play in the Pac-12 championship because of, of that game missed against USC. And I just hope, I really want to hope this team is focused on playing Utah and not what is out of their control. Control what you can control and go play Utah. I think they will be focused on that, but let's talk about that quickly. That's a great point, and it's something that I'm mad about. It's something that I think a lot of Buffs Nation is really mad about, that it's not our... And I hate to say this because when you say the words, it's not our fault. You sound like a, you know a teenage girl who just got grounded or something like that. Right? It's not my fault. But look, it's true that it's not on Colorado it was Arizona State who had the the COVID positives. It was USC who had the positive COVIDs. There's nothing that's been going on in Boulder, with, well, in Boulder maybe, but within this football team that has kept CU from playing these games. And now because of the rules and because of, well, because of the predetermined, quickly predetermined rules this season from Larry Scott and co., CU has no chance unless USC loses to make the Pac-12 championship game. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absurd. And I think Joel Klatt had a really good point on Twitter. Why not have the two best teams in the conference play? I know it's weird rules. And I know that classic convention says the winner of the North should play the winner at the South. But right now, the North has nobody. The North is depleted of good football teams. And clearly to me, the two best teams right now in the Pac-12 are USC and Colorado. And again, Joel Clack came out and said this on Twitter. He's like, why not have a USC-CU matchup in the Pac-12? And of course, Larry Scott comes out and says, well, those aren't our rules. We can't abide by that. It's ridiculous. And two things I'll say to that, Tyler. If ever there was a year to throw the rules, and this, the puzzle, this is it's the crazy. year. They've already done it. They've already changed everything up. Why not? And, and second of all, can we just get to that moving forward? I, I get having the divisions for scheduling purposes, things like that. 
Top two teams. I don't care. The Big 12 does that. I think it works well, great. But, but here's it does the not thing. matter whether it's north or south. Whoever the two but best gen- teams are should be in the championship. But generally, that won't work because you're playing everyone in your division. Like, the whole thing with a, with a normal season is you get a chance to have a shot at everybody in that division. That's sort of the essence of conferences divided into divisions is you play your division. It's your goal to win your division and you kind of get the right. So, you know, I, I kind of disagree with that. I think if you have an entire season and you already have the chance to play these teams then play the North. But this year, when CU didn't even have a chance to play USC, and again, it was USC's fault that game didn't happen, it's crazy to me. They're not even exploring it. And it's not like these rules can't be changed. I mean, Larry Scott acts as if these rules are written in cement and there's nothing we can do about it. Look a couple weeks ago what happened with San Diego State. They amended, they being the Pac-12 committee, amended the rules specifically for CU and said, look, we said no one can play outside the Pac-12. Well... Okay, we were wrong, but it has to be a home game. All right, now, now you can play outside the Pac-12, but they have to go to your stadium. It's like, okay, that took three hours to change. Why not change this Pac-12 championship rule? And we could see an undefeated Buffs team not even get a chance. That's crazy. To keep it, it's you, absolutely can, crazy. Can either of you guys guess the last time the Buffs went undefeated in conference play? In conference play? It was probably that uh, year with McIntyre, right? No. Uh, Nin- um, 93? Negative. Further back. Get out of here. 89. In between there. 1991, the national champion Buffaloes. Wait, wasn't that 90? No, it was, well. It was the 89-90 season. No, excuse me. I'm sorry. Okay, so the year after that, they went 6-0-1. So okay. 6-0-1, they went undefeated in, in conference play. Yeah, the national championship year, they started 1-1-1. Uh, e- even that, that's a team that went 8-3-1 on the year. So they weren't undefeated on the season, just right. in conference play. So to go back that far, to go back, you go all the way back to 19 19- 23 since there was an undefeated Buffs team. That's wow. insane. And they're not even going to get a chance to compete in the Pac-12 championship. And, and I know this is a little bit of sour grapes because two months ago, we didn't even think the Buffs were going to play but football. But so what? Year. You win your games and, and, and we're here. I mean, it's not like we have to just say, well, we didn't think well, we were going to play football. I'm okay with this. It it, it it makes me really upset. This is a family show, so I'm going to keep it clean here. But it makes me really upset, makes me really mad. And of course, it's CU who's getting stepped on here. And once again, the Pac-12 proves why they are Falling behind the rest of the, the, the Power A 5 joke. conferences. And I'm going to reference here, uh, for, for those of you who do follow other, other teams around the country, uh, the Big Ten Conference, Ohio State-Michigan, canceled this week. Yeah. Technically, by rule, the Big Ten had a rule in place that you had to have played so many games. This puts Ohio State under that threshold, where they may not be able to compete with that. Guess what the Big Ten is doing tomorrow, being Wednesday? They're meeting to discuss whether that rule should be amended because Ohio State is clearly the best team in the Big Ten. You cannot have a Big Ten champion without Ohio State being in that game. I don't think you can have a Pac-12 championship without CU being in that game. I've got no problem with the Big Ten doing that. This is a weird year. We're having to make all these rules up on the fly. Why act like these rules are so holier than thou? Like We can't get in a room, talk about what the right thing to do is. And I'll bring up our fantasy football league, you know? Uh, the one, we, there's a lot of rules. The, by the way, for those who don't know, uh, the three of us, uh, Jared, myself, Ryan, we're all in the same fantasy football league. And uh, I'm the commissioner of the league. And there's a lot of rules, right? We, we get in depth with this. There's a rule book. But you know what the one golden rule that overrules everything else is? Reason shall prevail. And if there's a rule that we all decide and sit, and sit down and say, you know what? This rule doesn't sound right. Let's amend it right now. 
It happens. Now, I know I'm comparing this to fantasy football. It's a little more real. There's a lot of dollars involved. Tyler, this is like very that. real to me, okay? Well, no, no, no. But there is money involved. You know, there, there's schedules. There's real people here. Not a fantasy football team. But my point is, you have to be flexible. It's not like people aren't reasonable out there. And honestly, I would know a couple Michigan fans myself. I don't think they're going to be mad at all if the Big Ten amends the rules, Ohio State gets in the championship game because... There's no one watching this who thinks Ohio State shouldn't be in the Big Ten Championship. To me, there's no one watching Pac-12 football who doesn't think CU and USC are the are the two best teams. I know we still have a game coming up this weekend, but if CU happens to get past Utah, and if USC happens to win, I'm going to be one angry beaver come Pac-12 Championship weekend. It's just not right. And, and, and this is also uh, Brian Howell uh, going back to, to following him on Twitter. He had a great point that you could see just, I'm going to throw out a scenario, okay? Let's say USC makes it into the championship game and they go up against a team like Oregon. Oregon now has two losses on the year. Oregon beats USC. That puts Oregon in the New York Six uh, bowl game, right? I don't think it's the Rose Bowl this year, but what, whatever yeah, right. it is, okay? Guess where that puts CU? Alamo Bowl? Uh, actually, what he said on there was the Independence Bowl. Yeah, oh not good God. bowls. That's I, for I don't sure. even know what that is I, or who I, I you saw play. The mm-hmm. It's insane to think that an undefeated top 25, potentially at that point a top 15 Buffs team would be playing in the Independence Bowl. Yeah, so I was just thinking, so we, we have Utah this week, right? Yeah. And then uh, as the schedule came out, we have a – or all Pac-12 teams have an unscheduled seventh game, correct? Yeah, there's going to be another crossover opponent in the Pac-12, so it's probably going to be the... You know what I'd like to see? Change the crossover aspect. USC, CU, Week 7. Right. Let's figure it out. Exactly. I mean, there's so many... You might as well. A lot of different scenarios here that seem to make sense to me, and, and it just... Again, the rules. Oh, Larry Scott. It almost seems like, and I'm sure this isn't the case, but it almost seems like... It's, it's driven from laziness. You know, they got it done. We don't want to meet again and change all these rules. It's like, guys, we said the rules. We're just going to go with that. I, I think it's funny how um, all these billionaires and millionaires have, um, you know, su- such a... Such such a concern about rules. <laughs> right. I'm sure they didn't get here by following I see the his rules. Tax returns. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and the Pac-12 North, I mean... Right now, it's likely to be Washington in the championship game, which means CU would maybe get Oregon. You know, I mean, that would be Oregon's three and two, but that would at least be somewhat of a high profile matchup for for CU to take care of business on that last week. But. Are, are these games um, better team has home field? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, it know. seems like there's been a, a lack of information out there. It's just kind of they just throw it like, yeah, yeah, we'll do like a Champions Weekend thing. Everybody plays each other. A lack yeah. of information from the Pac-12? I know. It's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> you got to be kidding me, Jared. <laughs> all right, so let's get back to the Utah Utes coming to town. I had to get that off my chest. I think we all had a little something to say there about CU being left out of the Pac-12 championship game. And, it's, and it's nonsense. Just to touch on something before we get on to Utah yeah, that, I, yeah. that I said, you know, that kind of sparked this conversation is it's fine for us. We're all fans. We're all here to discuss this talk about what's right and what's wrong in our minds at least our view of it but i i just as a team you can't worry about those things you go beat utah maybe usc falls this weekend and you have no issues so go win go control what you can and that's actually something you know last couple years when cu has won a couple games unfortunately it's been followed up with some losses with some distractions and i think you're right jared the one thing that the buffs have to worry about is this upcoming game because it's not going to be easy uh, Utah, the first place we should start with them, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, Jared, it's their coach. 
I know Carl Dewell, Durrell's done well this year. He's really impressed me. He's been one of the bright spots of the, the, the country in college football. I think he should be up for coach of the year. I am thoroughly impressed with Carl Durrell. But I'd still go as far as to say Kyle Whittingham probably right now the best coach in the Pac-12. You look at his resume, what he's done over the, the course of his career, what Utah's done. I mean, Utah's overachieved since he's been there. What do you guys think about uh, Kyle Whittingham being the toughest coach that uh, Carl Durrell's going to face this year? I think overachiever is a good word to use for him because I don't think, and I, again, I'd have to pull up the, the recruiting rankings, but I can imagine he's probably not a guy that's probably ever had a top class in the Pac-12. I think they do with a lot of two and, and three stars. And yet, year after year, they're competitive. If you guys remember back, CU and Utah joined at the same time into the Pac-12. Utah was coming from the Mountain West. They were looked at as the lesser team yeah. joining in there, and they have been very good in their time in the Pac-12. So I think a lot of that goes to Kyle Whittingham for getting the credit for keeping his team competitive year after year. And this is another team that lost a majority of their starters from last year. Yet it's a team that even though they don't have a great record, they've been competitive and in every game they've played. And this is when the uh, uh, rivalry was fabricated. Hey, you guys are two new teams in the Pac-12. All right. You guys are new rivals now. We'll call it the Rumble in the Rockies. How's that sound? Yeah, it's funny. Not one point did any of us reference any rivalry there, game or <laughs> rivalry is, field. There in is this no game, rivalry. There is none. I mean, it would. Can you imagine the different feel if we were playing CSU or even Nebraska? I mean, that would have led the show. We would have talked about the rivalry. Haven't mentioned it once. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, younger generations would maybe consider them rivals, but when you grow up as Nebraska is your main rival, I mean, the biggest, like the Friday after Thanksgiving, that's what you're getting oh, up to watch or nice. go to. Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing can compare to that. But Ryan, they wear red jerseys. <laughs> Doesn't that count? So it's do a cool. lot of college teams. We <laughs> just want to call them rivals, too. So the, the coaches so far who Carl Durrell has faced and see you, uh, Chip Kelly, David Shaw, uh, uh, why am I spacing on uh, San Diego State's coach? It's uh, Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke. And then uh, Kevin Sumlin. I think the coaches have gotten worse as we've gone yeah, down the list there. Yeah, that's a mediocre bunch there, yeah, isn't it? Is. it? So, so Kyle Whittingham, you know, I, this is a, you know, coaches, I'd say, in 2020, in the year of COVID, coaches matter now more than ever. You know, you're game planning with the team less. You're spending more time by yourself in the film room. You have less time to communicate with your players. So you know, better coaches do equal you know, more success, I think, over over the course of this season. Now, in this short season, as we mentioned, Utah is one and two losses against USC and Washington, and a win against Oregon State. But how do they look on the field? Quarterback Jake Bentley, you guys remember that name? Used to play it, I think, South Carolina, yeah, wasn't I it? I believe that's right. Yeah, couldn't I know compete he's a transfer. In, the, uh, yeah, in the SEC, so he came to uh, to Utah. Well, he's not doing that great this year. 64% completion, not too bad, but he's got three touchdowns and four picks in the three games. He's been sacked five times with a 119 quarterback rating. So, average stats. He's not doing anything that really frightens me or anything that I think CU has to worry about. I think if you get pressure on him, obviously, and look, let's get this out of the way. Every quarterback is better without pressure, right? But there are some quarterbacks who get exponentially worse with pressure and Jake Bentley's that kind of a guy he's got happy feet he likes to scramble quickly Dud look like he gets to his second and third read when there's pressure so I think getting to Jake Bentley is going to be very important this year and this offensive line for Utah is not the classic Utah offensive line that we're used to seeing everything that we talked about today with our defensive line with the ability to get pressure on the quarterbacks we're going to need to see the same especially in the second half suffocating CU front seven, getting to Jake Bentley, forcing him into some bad uh, situations. I'm going to make a bold prediction here, guys. This is going bold, Cotton. 
I think we're going to talk a lot about Nate Landman and Carson Wells next week. Okay, <laughs> Boy, I is... think they are going to once again go off on this team because I, I I think that exactly what you said. I think you got to get after Jake Bentley. I think those are two guys that can do that. But also too. Utah leans very heavily on their freshman running back Ty Jordan, and a guy that's been he's been solid for them this year. I mean, he's no Jarek Broussard, but I mean, no, he's been no. very productive for them. And so, I think you're going to need a great game from Carson Wells and from Nate Landman to prevent them from running all over you and put the ball in Jake Bentley's hands to force him to beat you. It says a lot, though, that you mentioned uh, Utah's running back Ty Jordan. He leads the team with 44 carries, uh, again in 6.7 yards per carry, but. They give it to their other two backs, Devin Brumfield, Jordan Wilmore, a decent amount. I mean, they don't have anyone who they feel great about in Utah to give them the ball, let them do the damage. So I think that this year it's more of a product of they just don't have a lot of the horses we're used to seeing them have. And you certainly see that in the backfield with the running backs. Uh, going on to receiver. Now, here's a surprise. Jake Bentley threw the ball to all kinds of receivers when he was at South Carolina. 16 catches for the tight end. The next best player on the team has six catches in terms of other receivers, uh, Solomon Ennis. So no doubt about it. The tight end, I don't even know his name, Brian Queethy, who cares for Utah, by far the the number one target for Jake Bentley. You cover that tight end, you're going to put this offense in a lot of bad situations. So I think that's going to be a big, a big part to this game is who does CU choose to bring down, well, hopefully... You know, they, they run that extra set. They have Isaiah Lewis out there. Maybe uh, that's who I want to see. Isaiah Lewis come into the box. You know, maybe not a full assignment where he's always on their tight end, but it's crucial. You can't let this guy go over the middle. You can't allow Utah to get momentum. And the way they're going to get momentum is chunk play in the run, little run here, and then you're going to gash CU with the tight end. I don't think the Buffs let that happen. I think CU's shown us this year they're quick up the middle. They're athletic in the middle. They have a lot of different guys who can cover. I know I mentioned Isaiah Lewis. What about Carson Wells? A little bit on coverage, right? So there's a lot of options that CU has to shut him down. But keep that in mind, folks. There have been 53 total catches this year in Utah. Uh, their tight end has 16 of them, so they love their tight ends. And I think as you gain more faith in your outside cornerbacks to shut these receivers down one-on-one, you may see some bracket coverage by that. And what that means, for those not very familiar with that term, is you may see a safety over the top while you have a linebacker underneath it. So it prevents those short over-the-middle routes, but also then keeps him from beating you down the seam. So you might see some extra coverage, double coverage on him there. Uh, the one right receiver that does pose a little bit of a threat that you got to watch out for for the big play is Brian Thompson on the year kind of a weird stat line five receptions 113 yards that is a 22.6 yeah. yard average but his long on the year you know a lot of times you see that and some guy had an 80 yard catch right, and 100 so yard catch yeah his longest catch on the year 33 yards interesting so he is a deep ball guy he's a big play receiver and so you, that is something you got to be careful on you got to watch out for but I I think that's where you're going to see a guy like a Christian Gonzalez a big guy a physical guy one-on-one shutting him down. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about the front seven, and rightfully so. I think we should. I think they've earned it this year. But this may be a game where the secondary has to shine for CU, where we have to see a lot of plays from Blackman and Mark Perry and Rakestra and, and, and Gonzalez and even uh, you know Isaiah Lewis. Like This is going to be the game, I think, because uh, CU's other opponents, UCLA, Stanford, San Diego State, Arizona, really every single one of them, the one thing you have to worry about is that running game because 
Even UCLA, who likes to spread it out, what did they do last year against CU? Ran for almost 300 yards. So, so far, it's been all stop the run, stop the run. And this is the first game where Utah may try and change things and air it out a little bit. So I think the secondary is going to be a very big part of this game for the Buffs. My key to the game for CU on defense is to stop that pass, is to make Utah one-dimensional and make Utah run the football. I don't worry about Colorado at all if, if, if Utah's run heavy. I'm completely confident in our front seven. I'm completely confident in the coach's ability to mold you know, a couple different uh, game plans, give a couple different looks to Utah. I don't mind at all. If we shut down the pass, force Utah to run the football, that's my key to the game for this defense, and I think we can do it for sure. I want to see a Buffs team that comes out and is explosive. I think a lot of the, the matchups for the Buffs throughout the season are teams that can really put up a lot of points. Utah's not a team that I think is going to be putting up a lot of points against the Buffs. I think that they can outscore them. Now, I don't want this to be a shootout, but I want to see an explosive Buffs team Lean on your defense to do what you know that they can do. But I want to see this offense get out. I pointed to that earlier. I, I haven't seen the Buffs put away teams this year. I really want to see this Buffs team put somebody away. Get up on them and really attack. Let's talk about that side of the football. CU's offense, uh, they got going hot this year. I mean, Hansel, he's so hot right now. Do you think that the younger people listening know that reference? Do you think like the the younger kids? It, it's from Zoolander. For those who don't know, it's yeah, prob- probably not at all. Oh, Hansel, well, so I, hot I was trying right to think now. of what year that movie came out. That's that's nineties, right? So I'm up. gonna say no. It was early two thousands. Zoolander came out, yeah, two thousand one. Okay, so no, 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 no. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm, I'm, God, making me feel old here. Hansel, so hot right now. Probably the only one that they've seen is Zoolander two, which um does not. Oh, that was do so that. stupid. If, if you're referencing off of that, that's just <laughs> yeah, bad. Just Highly garbage. recommend Zoolander for a nice watch this week. Anyway, uh, CU's offense started great, right? It was the defense first couple games going, oh, is this going to be the problem? Game one against UCLA, 48-42. Game two against Stanford, 35-32. And again, we're going, okay, well, the defense can score. Can the, or excuse me, the offense can score. Can the defense stop anybody? And then San Diego State and Arizona, and the offense sputters a little bit, but the defense then comes up with those huge second-half shutouts. So that says more to me, again, that CU knows how to win. They don't care how they do it. They want that W on the on their schedule, and they know how to get that done. So the offense can pick the defense up. Defense can pick the offense up. But at this point in our preview, we're talking about CU's offense. How do you see this game going? How do you see CU breaking Utah down? Do they have to rely on that running game? Do they have to rely on the passing game? Because we brought it up earlier in the show, and I, I'm going to go right back to it. I think CU should worry less about what Utah's done their first three games on defense and worry more about them more about themselves. Now I know that can get you into some trouble, right? You want to obviously do some scouting on the other team, but the Buffs have a very clear, uh, workable, very good approach so far. Run the ball, open things up for Sam Neuer, and then the passing game. Then things open up for Dimitri Stanley, Katie Nixon, Chenault. But it's crucial. That CU runs the football. If we go into halftime against Utah and Broussard has 40 yards and this team has maybe 50 or 60, that's not where you want to be. You want to gouge Utah in the first half. You want to really open them up. So as the game goes on, then things get more and more comfortable for Sam Neuer. So my key to this game is going to be those big boys up front. That offensive line, well, for the offense, is going to be big boys up front, handling the offensive line, making sure Utah, who still has a pretty good D-line, doesn't do what they want to do 
and control the flow of the game, control time possession, run the football early. That's crucial in this game. And obviously, I'm not going to sit here and tell you they should not lean heavily on Jarek Broussard for how, how good he has been and how good this offensive line has been. But I think you also need to start doing some self-scouting and know, what obviously, what is Utah going to sell out to stop? They're going to do everything they can to stop this running game. Use that to your advantage, and I think early on, I'd love to see them attack on some play-action deep routes. Let's try to make a big play early on. Get Sam Neuer going a little bit of a rhythm, and I'm not saying you throw the ball 20 times in the first half, but I think strategically attacking with some of your big play receivers that really haven't broken out this year, I want to see them really attack and make big plays in the offense. So my my keys to the game kind of matches up with yours, Tyler. Um, so I think last week Sam Neuer threw the ball 19 times, I believe. Yeah, was, was Yeah, 12-19. 12-19. But, yeah, so just a couple stats here for you. CU's total yards this season for, through uh, four games is 1,728 total offensive yards. Utah has 1,089 total yards. Of CU's total yards of 1728, their rushing yards are 982. So they've only almost outgained Utah this entire season on the ground through the entire offense of Utah. So I think you need to stay with that that ground game. Like I said, Jared, I think you're right. Don't don't let Sam Neuer have to throw the ball, you know, 20 plus times. I'd even say in the half. Right. To be honest with you, establish the game. I think the reason why these last two weeks have been low-scoring games, CU's controlled the clock, they've ran the football, and um, you know they didn't need to do anything else, so, so why change it? And the, the only other thing, um, I think that the defense, especially I think Utah is going to get a little desperate from the clock management that CU will um, impose. Uh, their turnover ratio uh, on uh, – Coming up to this game, Utah is a negative three and CU's a plus two. Okay. So I think CU's what I'm hoping, bold prediction for me, <laughs> CU doubles that minus three, the minus six going out of That Folsom. would be huge. I mean, look, you get three turnovers, it's hard to lose any football game, and that would certainly be big for the buffs. But uh, you look what Utah's given up on defense, and I mean, I think that we're all kind of, again, Jared mentioned throwing the ball early. I would love that, right? But it's all predicated on play action, Absolutely. like you it's said. Build off of that running game. Exactly. So if you look at uh, Utah so far this year, uh, it's funny because they have shown me no ability to be consistent in both the passing game and the running game. That's why I think CU needs to do what they do best, not go, well, Utah's good here, Utah's good here. It's like, no. Find their key players, make sure you know where they are, but do what you do best. In their first game of the year, USC threw for 264 yards, two touchdowns against Utah, right? Then Utah goes to their second game on the road against Washington. The Huskies ran for 215 and two touchdowns on the ground against Utah. So teams are finding, you know, it's sort of like whatever they do best, Utah will give it up. Last week, Utah gave up 133 on the ground to Oregon State and 200 through the air. So I've seen nothing in this Utah team that makes me want to focus on the run or the pass. See, you could really do either. For me, it's just more about what's the best recipe for this Colorado team to succeed. And I think it's heavy dose of the run early, open it up for Sam Neuer, and eventually wear out this uh, Utah defense. So uh, as I mentioned, Utah, uh, what was their last game? Uh, 30-24. to So even against Oregon State, 
nothing convincing, you know, and, and they don't have that one win or anything really to make you think this is that same Utah team as always. So we've all talked about our keys to the game. Uh, you guys got anything else to add? Oh, of course, we'll do scores, things like that. But did I miss anything? Are, are we are we overlooking any part of this game? Uh, special teams, kicking game, coaching. I mean, we've we've talked about it a lot already. But you guys got anything else? Yeah, mine's mostly like I like I brought up uh, time management, and like you were just kind of saying too, run, run run the football. I can't remember in the recent history when a Utah or CU game was you know. 49 to 52 or anything they're usually kind of you know backyard brawls and control the clock don't turn the ball over and you'll you'll come out on top yeah you know who you are i think you know what you're getting in utah you know that they're going to sell out to stop your run i don't care beat them at it anyways and I, I think that's what you have to understand as a football team know who you are and be better at that I know that sounds super so simple but you're a better team you need to show up Play this game. Don't look past them. Don't worry about what's going on around you. Show up and be the better team. All right, let's get some score predictions here. I will go first. I think CU does find success on the ground. I believe that Jarek Broussard has a classic Broussard game. We get a little Clayton, a little Mangum, a little Davis sprinkled in there, but it is the Broussard show. I think that Sam Neuer actually bounces back, has a nice game himself, and I think CU gets on the scoreboard a little bit. I'm going to go 31-21. CU gets a 10-point win at home. I like the, the Buffs' defense to be a little bit stronger in this game. I, I really don't see a whole lot from this Utah offense that, that, that concerns me that they're going to put up a lot of points. I think you're going to get a lower-scoring game, one that the Buffs control with the clock management, as Ryan mentioned. I'm going to go 17-7, to 7, Buffaloes. Wow, okay. Low scoring yeah, from low scoring. Yeah. I'm more along your line of thinking here, Tyler. Um, my, my final score is going to be 31-20 Buffs, and I agree with you. I think Sam Neuer does have a big bounce-back game. I'm predicting three touchdown passes from him, um, one from Broussard. I know he's got a lot of yards, but he's only got three touchdowns, so I think it's time to you know give him, give him a little uh, something go. extra. You there know? we go. Give him a little something extra for his hard work. And, again, I have those turnovers from, from the defense, and I really think Utah is going to especially – See you coming off a 300-yard performance from Broussard. I think Utah sells out on the run, and see you's able to take advantage of it. I like how specific Ryan gets. One of these times, oh, he's, he's going to just absolutely hit so spot on on it. And we're just <laughs> going to see Ryan does. come in just gloat and like, come on, come on. I, I hope it happens this year because I've been, I've been specific, but you never know, you know. All right. Well, good job today, guys. I think it was a good show, and see you's doing better and better. 4-0, hoping to make it 5-0 this week against our rivals, the Rumble and the Rockies, whatever you want to call it. See you. Beat Utah this weekend. We'll talk to you guys next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.